Welcome back, everyone. It's great to be with you. As always, Ed's Not Dead is brought to you by Ed's Not Dead Media, a podcast media company that curates, we all hate that word, high-quality <laughs> audio stories across a variety of genres. You can find us on Twitter at Ed's Not Dead PC and check out the website, edsnotdead.com. Fellas, it's good to be back. We've got a great show. And I would like to say that if you are thinking of creating a podcast and look you need at, some help, look us up. Talk to us. We're, we're ready to host you. Yeah, we'll help. How's our, yeah. po- how's our p- podcast empire? Two and growing. Two and growing. Okay. Yeah. So right. if you're, if you want to do an ed, does it have to be an education podcast? It does not. Not necessarily. We, we welcome all uh, uh, rigorous podcasts and we have and fun podcasts. We have two amazing podcast producers, which would be you and Crable co-producers, <laughs> right? We're yeah. EPs. Yeah, I think executive producer is the job where you don't do a lot, but then you put your name on everything. Correct. Pretty so, that, so that's what you all want to be, executive producers. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's, that's For producing is actual work. Exhausting. And, that, and that's what you Correct. do right now. Yeah. As, as opposed to me. <laughs> all right, we got a great show tonight. Uh, we are excited to have Adiola Whitney, the CEO of Reading Partners. Mr. Siddons, another great booking by you. Yes. Um, we're excited to have Adiola on the show. And um, Mr. Siddons, do you want to talk a little bit about our media partnership with Wise Education and your recent interview with Greg Bear? Yes, it premiered last week. And I got to interview, on behalf of Ed's Not Dead, I got to interview Greg Bear, who is the founder and co-chair of Remake Learning. And uh, I, I saw him when I was invited to the panel, when we were invited to the panel for the uh, Wise Education uh, Organization, where they were talking about learning ecosystems. So check out that pod. Uh, I had to do some more research to figure out what a learning ecosystem is, and it's not as complicated as you think. Community schools. Yeah, it's really just about community schools and bringing in more people and, and organizations around the community to make our education system stronger. Mr. Crable's a fan of community schools, aren't you? Yeah, I, I, we uh, we talked about one, LeBron's school. Um, mm-hmm. It could have been three years ago, but... That was a long time ago. But yeah, we it came up then, it came up in our interview, um, the dude from West Virginia whose name escapes me. But yeah, I mean, schools that sort of take the the lead role in the community of of a one-stop shop for everything the community needs. Pretty cool idea. Yeah. I worked in an elementary school that was uh that was built in 1972 and when it was built, it was it kind of embodied that um community spirit of the 60s of trying to make the school the 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 hub of the community and and offering lots of services to kids and families and um there was a there was a dental office in the school. Oh wow! Um, which had since just become very weird shaped offices because the dental <laughs> office was was long gone, and that's that's what always kind of bums me out when I think of those models. How how are they self sustaining? Because they they require a lot of resources and a long term kind sure. of social, you know, political commitment to make them work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and and uh, in our interview, we actually talked about. Um, we're going to get him back on the show because I actually found out he is a recent author and it's called when you wonder you're learning and it's the tagline is Mr. Rogers enduring lessons for raising creative, curious, caring kids. And I want to, I actually want to buy it because and read it so we can get him back on the show. 
because it sounds like a really awesome book. And we talked briefly about that at the end, which I highly recommend you listen to it because there's some pretty, there's a heavy moment, but there's also uh, some great uh, insight into why he wrote that book. Cool. Yeah. I'm a big, I'm a big Mr. Rogers fan. Mr. Well, Rogers. He's, he's based in Pittsburgh. So that's perfect. Ah, there you yeah. go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mr. Rogers and Sesame street. Those were the, oh, and the electric company. Those were the three big ones for Gen X early seventies. Those were the three kid shows. I love Mr. Rogers. Y- you know who was on the electric company? Morgan, Morgan Freeman. No way. Ooh. Yes. Yep. Yep. He was about, he was in his thirties. He was an actor on it and they were all great kind of, quasi-educational kid shows that came out of the 60s and um yep those were those were the days all right we have a new we have a new segment to start the show tonight oh we're starting the new segment yeah oh my goodness what did you have for dinner tonight what did you have for dinner that's the new segment mr siddons what'd you have for dinner tonight my lovely wife made a, a salad a cold salad with uh 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 rice and we orzo she's correcting me with, uh, grilled vegetables i grilled all the vegetables you did you you grilled them tonight i grilled them tonight okay chopped all them right. all up okay there was red onions cauliflower zucchini and tomatoes and okay. we put them all together into a nice little combination with some vinegar and oil and salt and pepper Ooh, baby it was good nice no no any protein at all no i don't eat meat i that's okay uh, but I th- it would be protein would taste, does come in other sources. Though. It does. It would. Yeah, it does. I do eat some. I do eat fish sometimes. But okay. I, w- I It would have tasted great with a, a nice grilled piece of salmon on the top. Salmon. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds delicious. Tell Sarah, nice job. I will. Nice job. All right, uh, Mr. Crable, what did you eat for dinner? Um, uh, not necessarily seasonally appropriate, but we had a beef stew tonight. Oh, okay. Yes, uh, my dear wife made a bone broth out of. Okay. Um, Ooh. Yeah. You always have to have the broth going on. The, it was on good. The, uh, the problem with making the beef bone broth in your house is that Ooh. your entire house is a little stinky. A little stinky. Yeah. <laughs> Just a little stinky. <laughs> I was outside with all of the doors and windows closed uh, doing some work today. And I was, I texted her. I said, wow, I can smell it from here. <laughs> what, did, what did the three children think of the of the stew? Uh, just about what you would think they think of it. Yeah. <laughs> did you throw some cabbage in there also? No, <laughs> no. Uh, Liver. Nice chunks of stew meat, uh, carrot, onions, potatoes. Uh, August ate some. He put a lot of pepper in there and okay. <laughs> remarked about how it really brought out the flavor. <laughs> uh, All right, that's good. Pearl, right. Pearl looked at it. And goes, I'm sure I was I, thinking Pearl. She goes, mm, I don't think I'll try that. <laughs> okay. She's what? She's three. Almost three. Yeah, three. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, three weeks about. Yeah, stew, stew for a three-year-old. That's not, <laughs> not, not a winning combination. <laughs> not, not, not a winner. All right. We had the family meal from IHOP tonight. Ooh. And it was incredibly fattening and delicious. Pancakes, <laughs> what did she get? Pancakes, sausage, bacon. Um, chocolate chips on the side. Okay. Um, yeah, it was it was the it was the totally unhealthy Dodd dinner tonight, and it was you, it was great. Eggs too. Sorry, scrambled eggs. Yeah, did I say nice. this? No, no. Yeah, did you did take I, out. Yeah, we got. Yeah, we did the takeout. None nice. of us were up to doing anything tonight, so it was an IHOP night. I gotta tell you, I've, the thing I've soured on that I liked as a kid was breakfast is, for dinner. Oh, 
Crable. I know. I, I know. Breakfast for dinner is still uh, a go-to. It's yeah, amazing. No. no With I a just, big glass of milk, I had the hugest glass of milk with it. <laughs> it was so I felt like I was like 10. It was uh, amazing. yeah, not, it's, not so much. Okay. All right. All right. So that's the new segment. What'd you have for dinner? <laughs> uh, love it. Love they it. They were they were completely caught off guard by yeah. that. Um, yeah. I was, I was scrambling. I thought I had to introduce my new No, my we do new, it. We do have a legit new segment coming up at the end of the show that Mr. Siddons is piloting. Uh, something about low, low profile, low profile educational issues. And I need I need Crable to do a, 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 with his band a cover of Low, low Rider. There you go. Yes. There you go. Yeah. You knew exactly where I was going. Oh, yeah. That's great. We're on the same uh, wavelength. So we have to, and that means I have to think of a low profile educational issue before the end of the show. Correct. You don't have a lot of time, but yes. It has to be an educational issue? No, it could be anything really. Oh, it can? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Uh, Mr. Sins, you sent us this piece, fascinating, um, by Chris Stewart in, uh, what's the publication? Education Post, Better Conversation, Better Education. Chris Stewart is the chief executive officer of Brightbeam. Uh, the title of the blog is Yes, America is Racist. No, you shouldn't teach my kids if you disagree. Um, Mr. Stewart is reacting in this piece to another piece by friend of Ed's Not Dead, recent guest, senior fellow Robert Pondicio of the Fordham Institute, um, where I guess Robert was asking, as, as Mr. Stewart says, a deceptively simple question. I believe anti-racism is misguided. Can I still teach black children? Um, Mr. Stewart then um, goes on to basically say, with all due respect to Robert Pondicio, who it sounds like he considers at least a a thought partner or a friend, maybe, um, no, you cannot. And he enumerates um, several reasons. I'll read you a couple quotes. Um, Speaking only for my family and assuming some degree of choice exists for us in the matter that makes the question relevant, our answer is complementary in its simplicity. The answer is no. Um, He goes on to say there was white resistance to emancipation after the Civil War, after Reconstruction, after Jim Crow, after desegregation, and after the Civil Rights Movement, all true. In each case, calls to restructure society to support racial equality were lampooned as misguided or a bridge too far. In each instance, white racism was plausibly denied by its beneficiaries and blame for racial strife was placed on the people fighting against racism. So here we are, and, and I think we can all agree that, um, that there, is, there is somewhat of a, uh, a burgeoning anti-racism movement, anti-bias movement in schools across the country. Um, boards of education, school systems themselves are examining everything from curriculum to their hiring practices, um, to the way teachers teach, to teachers' beliefs and what they do in classrooms. And um, there is now this kind of pushback, shocker, right, fellas, Um, across the nation. And as Mr. Stewart says, the the it's the classic pushback of that um, anti-racism is really racism. That's one of the that's one of the claims. Um, 
He goes on to say, I would ask you to consider what it says about who holds the power in America that when you fear your children will encounter ideas that make them uncomfortable, it doesn't require mass demonstrations to rectify because presidents, governors, and legislators will move quickly to take up your cause and pass laws to ease your discomfort. It's almost as, as if our systems of power are every bit as unlevel as critical race theory says they are. And by the way, that's become the, that's, that's, it's that, that's the boogeyman. That's the new thing. Critical race theory. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, do you care to answer, uh, Robert Pondicio's question? Uh, if you don't support anti-racist actions or initiatives or work in schools, can you teach children of color? I think one of the things that I've been following on this topic is, uh, it seems like the growing theme is that people don't actually understand what anti-racism curriculum actually is or what anti-racist actions are before commenting on it. Shocker that they're doing that on social media. Um, the other piece is like people are spouting off critical race theory again with not really understanding what it is. They have and no with, idea what critical race theory is. No idea. I and have then, no idea. <clears throat> I know. I mean, I bet, like, the only reason I knew something about it was from my doctoral studies. That was sure. the only reason. Otherwise, I wouldn't have known. As a, people, as a white male, I wouldn't have known. Right. But people are spouting off what they think it means in, in their uh, efforts to downplay it or say that it's, it's, it's garbage or what have you. But at the end of the day, uh, I, 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 I agree with Mr. Stewart, which is if you're – if you're not actively working to combat racism in all of its forms, then I, I don't feel comfortable with you being in my, as my child's classroom teacher. I just don't. And, and that would be, you're, you're obviously not a person of color. You would say that for your Caucasian child. As for well. my white child. Yes. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. Mr. Krabs. Yeah. I mean, in, in general, um, I agree with the premise. Um, but to take a more nuanced approach when something like, like the, that was, that was just, I I don't even know the word to describe (laughs) that. That was so, all right, go ahead. So, um, with some, with something like anti-racism, I think there's, you can kind of divide people into like three or four categories. So one category anti-racism. Do you support it? There's a, a group that's immediately going to go, yes, I definitely support it. Let's actively work. Let's do that. And in my mind, that's the group that Mr. Stewart is referring to, those that are immediately on board. There's a second group that's like on board, but don't really know what it is. They say, yeah, um, seems like everybody else is doing it. Seems like a good idea. Sure. There's another group that's basically the opposite of that that says, I don't know what it is, but I'm not going to be for it. Maybe until I learn what it is or just to be against something. And there's a whole nother group that's I'm against it no matter what. And I, to me, that last group that I'm against it no matter what, 100% I can say those people should not be teaching black and brown children because the belief system that goes along with that I think is inherently detrimental to their development into them in general as people because i think if you're immediately dismiss something like that they're like oh this is crazy this is nonsense this is bs it reflects something about you and your beliefs about 
not only America, but about black and brown people and how they've been treated in this country. However, what I think it gets lost in this conversation is that, um, or maybe in the piece, I should say, there has to be some amount of like convincing people and there has to be some amount of like bringing people over to your side. So just like critical race theory, people are going to hear anti-racism and most, many, I don't know, don't know what it is. So to me, it's incumbent upon people like us, people that have an understanding that want to actively engage in this work to convince people to do it. Sure. So it, they could say, eh, no, I'm not for it, but that doesn't mean that work shouldn't still be done to convince them. And that doesn't mean that they're like unreachable to bring them over to say, Oh, now I see what it is. Now I see what you mean. Yes. Now I am, I am for it. I, I guess, I guess just the, but who does the burden of convincing fall on? You know, I people think oft, I, I think oftentimes people of color feel like the burden of convincing falls on them. And I and I I and I'm not saying that's necessarily true because it it it's the burden of it falls on us, the three of us, and sure. and uh, as well. But I just get a little tired of the convincing thing. We've got to work to convince you that this is the right thing to do right that 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 to to make you uncomfortable that, that, to, that to what show, is the right well that what is the right thing to do to to show how systemic racism and the the structural racism and the the, the whole power structure in this society um is maybe, maybe you've never thought about it before yeah i guess i guess that's possible I, but it's, look it's i'm also, gonna be real i grew up in a way that until i was 30 I never thought about it before. It, I just, it just wasn't, it wasn't prevalent. It wasn't talked about. I didn't, I didn't know to think about it or not to think about it. So when you were, when you were in 1990 or 91, when Rodney King was being kicked and beaten by white police officers in Los Angeles, I, I would imagine that that was a, a seminal memory when you were growing Remember up. Remember it? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. So you didn't think about that. You didn't no. look at that as a kid. No conversations came along with that? Zero. Interesting. Not a single conversation. See, that's fascinating to me. I was also six. The OJ verdict, I was in high school. Right. Um, you know, I don't know what year that was. Uh, 96. Yeah, so freshman or sophomore. I could tell that it was a thing. I could tell that it was a thing, but I didn't understand why or why black people would be happy about it or i just had no i could see that it elicited strong emotions in people but i had no sense of why or any of the history that might have led to any of the emotions and i would i I mean this particular issue the critical race theory anti-racism there there's this is going beyond just like being equitable in your classroom or promoting culturally relevant instruction um, throughout your school or the system. This is, this is striking at the very, this is, this is goes way beyond it and striking at the core of the structure and the systemic racism that exists in our society. Oh, by, and, by, by, de- sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. No, that, I mean, that, it's, that's, that was kind of a full stop where it's, it's, it's striking at that particular, this, the, the systemic, 
but even but even but even more so right i still think the terms you're using still require defining sure but and like in ibram kennedy's book it's to me it's super simple it's does this thing whatever it is does it promote racist status quo or does it work to actively dismantle and even the playing field right that, but, but I you don't need any vocabulary to have I, that conversation I, I, but i think that's what implicitly freaks people out about a simple phrase anti-racism because the the assumption that the the truth in that phrase is is that our system our structure we are racist and we all are as as a, a part of a white white supremacist structure, right? And 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 there's a there's an immediate denial on the part of of white Americans to that. Well, um, and, and to his point, ra- being called a racist has become a pejorative, akin to absolutely any other horrible absolutely. label you could be labeled. Correct, which is problematic. Again, and, in his view, and well, and I have to agree, problematic is you can't be like, well, that is racist if you believe that that is racist why then that just like shuts down the conversation right how right. could you say that i'm not racist blah, blah blah whatever you know right right um but i i mean i i do i do think that um and we talked about this on the last episode didn't we didn't we didn't we talk about social justice as the as the <laughs> The new, the new potential goal of, of public education and where yep. it was fit and all the other um, goal confusion in public <laughs> education. Um, I mean, I, 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 I think it's a – Pondicio was a great guest, and I think, it's, I think he asked an interesting question, and I, I thought Mr. Um, Stewart – is that his last name? Yes. Um, he had as a as a as a parent of color he had a very compelling response to me um which was no and i thought he explained the no no really well um and i i mean white educators might not want to hear it but um there's a part of me that just wants to say you know open your mind get with the program come along i mean if, uh, but, the fact that crable was was sharing about his growing up and not having to deal with it or think about it until he was 30 and the same thing in my case not having to think about it really until my late 20s that is that is like the privilege of being a white male oh defined it is right white privilege it is absolutely white privilege in a nutshell <laughs> i mean and, 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 and like, i and I'm not flaunting my childhood as any great, you know, I, it, it, I didn't grow up any different really than you all did as white, as a, as a, as a white male. Um, but you know, I think roots came out, will you Google that? I'm going to, I'm going to say roots came out. 1987. In, no, the show was about 1977, 77 or 1977. Okay. 1977. And my mom insisted she got us all together every night. We watched it as a family, yeah. all oh, five wow. of us. Um, and that was like, I mean, that was, you know, watching Kunta Kinte um, try to escape slavery I, as a, as a nine-year-old. Um, I mean, that had a huge impact on me and the discussions that came from that. Um, and I mean, there are, you know, I mean, uh, you could are, argue that your, your mother was trying to expose, uh, you know, expose you to these anti-racist ideas in terms of a- absolutely different, um, you know, cultural icons and, and, and I don't white people. And I don't know how roots has aged. I, I would probably be painful to watch it now. 
Um, just, you know, you know how those things don't age all that well. And it may not even be the story it tells may, you know, I, I don't know how it would resonate today. Um, but it sure had, it sure had an impact on me. And I mean, I, I feel like because of those experiences as a young white male, I did see race. I, I saw it and I thought about it and I, and, you know, and struggled with it as at times um, as, you know, I mean, I just think it's so, so many educators want to deny racial identity. They just don't want to go there. But it, it, the power of experience and, and again, white privilege and being surrounded by everything white and, and everything that you learn and think about and do as, as a white person is white whether you're buying band-aids or you are uh, learning about the way that our government was founded by, you know, rich white slaveholders or the, the, the mathematicians that you learn about in school are all, you know, white Europeans or, or what have you, the amount that has to be unpacked is unfortunately for years is, you know, we're, we're placing the onus on people of color or we're placing the onus to be like, well, you teach us, but that's not, that has to, white people have to take ownership and take the weight and, and do your own searching and do your own research and do your own reading to, to dismantle it for yourself as well. <laughs> so exactly. Let me, let me ask you a question. So let's say you're, you're in some sort of school-based meeting and you're talking about whatever, anti-racism, white privilege, white supremacist culture, anything, you know, roughly in that realm. It's just going to be a how to interrupt question that's going to be really hard. No. Okay. And um, people are sharing and everybody's agreeing and yeah, this is this and this is that. This is why I agree. The person that maybe doesn't fully agree or question, would you rather they speak up and ask or would you rather they not speak up and ask? I would rather they speak up and ask. Okay. I would rather they speak up and ask. So how does that fit into the context of this article? I was thinking, me, I was thinking they're that, not yeah. already a convert, so they shouldn't be teaching these kids. Well, I, I was, this article. I was thinking that very um, interesting. You bring that up because how do we ensure that, the spaces that we create on leadership teams or, or instructional teams or whatever it may be, PLC, small groups, how do we create the space for folks to understand and, and, and get their own understanding of, of where they are in this particular, uh, I don't know the right word for continuum. Um, And I think if you set up your leadership team or you set up your team's, to allow for that kind of conversation to happen, then it, then it will come out and it needs to come out and it has to have, we have to allow for a space to have that kind of conversation. I, I, I agree. I mean, I think maybe you're, 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 you're doing the Sean Hannity to us, Crable. No, there's only two. two, I, two, two I, I, yeah. Two I mean, come on. There. That's yeah, it. I, I don't, I, I don't think that. The um, Sean Hannity. I, I don't think that Mr. Stewart is, I mean, I think he's saying that if you are of a fixed mindset anywhere on this continuum that you're referencing, Mr. Siddons, um, that no, you shouldn't be teaching my kid. But I, I, if you've decided that that's where you stand, and that's what Robert Pondicio is kind of at, he, 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 because Robert is smart, he knows about critical race theory, he knows about anti racism, and he's saying, I don't buy it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then I think, I think Mr. Stewart's safe to say, well, then you shouldn't teach my kid. Mm. But if, if it's somebody that, um, I, I, yes, I agree with you. There should be the space. I, we, we have to bring people along. I, I guess I was just taking the other side of the, you know, the bringing people along has been happening for a lot of, a long time. And there's, that's and, true. That's true. And as, and as you bring people along, all of the reasons why not to come along come about. That's true. That's a good point. Uh, yeah. And, 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 and that's what he's saying um, is let's look at the history of all these moments where it's instead of coming along, you've turned it into something you've that, that it's not um, because you haven't wanted to come along. True. Yeah. Well, is any good lawyer would tell you know the arguments of your opponent if you want to convince them and bring them to your side. Yeah. So know the anti anti racism people. Know the people that don't want to come along because it's white racism to talk about the racism the white people have done. You know what I mean? Like, I think educating yourself on the other side is it is it a crucial and important part of convincing people and bringing them along. Why do you think, think I listened to Rush for all those years? I, uh, yeah, I, I know. I, you, <laughs> you guys are you guys are the ones that don't listen to the other yeah, side, it, it, right? Yeah, it, it's blood boiling for Casey. <laughs> it's it's terrible. Like, it's amazing that you're able to do it. You know, <laughs> I can, but uh, yeah, I, I I do think about uh, let's let's put you know think about a, a brand new teacher coming to your school, coming from some place that is not diverse and hasn't got this kind of education or hasn't you know, been pushed in any way, shape or form to think differently. And you have them in your school, they're starting out their new, their their new teaching uh, experience. And and I think that kind of space is, is where I'm talking about. I'm not talking about people that are uh, foot draggers, you know, just like holding out for, for someone to teach them the right way or, or just so they can avoid it. And there, and there will be, there will be, and I, this is a fact there will be educators that will get out of the profession because of where we are right now. Yeah, absolutely. I, that there will be retirements. There will be people that will, be, will move on because they will say, this is what they're doing to schools. This is yep. social engineering. <laughs> Correct. Um, and Maybe they'll go know, work for Pearson. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, sorry. Sorry. Pearson is a proud sponsor. Proud right? sponsor. Financial <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> contributor. Ned's not dead. <laughs> and the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. All right, check out Chris Stewart. Uh, he's the chief, chief executive of Brightbeam. Um, I don't know what his Twitter handle is. Uh, you follow him on Twitter, don't you, Mr. Sitz? I do. Yep. I do. Um, uh, the piece is, yes, America is racist. No, you shouldn't teach my kids if you disagree. It's an education post. Um, I thought it was a very thought-provoking piece. For sure. uh, we should get Robert back on the show and have him defend himself. I said to Casey, we should have the two of them on. Oh, have a panel. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. Sins, you got to book that. <laughs> Come on, man. You're the, I'll work on it. I'll work you're, on it. You're the producer. All right. Uh, don't go away. When we come back, we are excited to welcome Adiola Whitney, CEO of Reading Partners on Ed's Not Dead. We'll be right back. Right, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are so happy, so pleased, and excited to welcome 
Adiola Whitney. She is the CEO of Reading Partners, which is a national nonprofit that mobilizes communities to provide students with the proven individualized reading support they need to read at grade level by fourth grade. Uh, Adiola Whitney, thank you so much for joining us on Ed's Not Dead. Thank you, um, Casey. Thank you, Peter. I'm excited to be here with both of you today. Yeah, yeah just excited to talk. Let's to talk you about reading. Conversation. Let's talk let's about reading. Let's do it. <laughs> so let, let's start with your organization, which is Reading Partners. And and as I was, you know, we're working on these interview questions. We found out that one of your main goals is to get students to read at grade level by fourth grade. So, Crable and I don't have a lot of experience in that. We're 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 middle and high school people. Okay. And uh, if if Robbie were here, he'd 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 have a lot of opinions <laughs> to say because he he he's born and bred elementary. But uh, for our listeners who who may not be attuned to the elementary level, why is it so important for students to learn? to read by such a specific grade level? Yeah, that's such a great question, Casey. You know, first and foremost, I'll just say right now in this country, I believe the number is 79% of this country's fourth graders um, experiencing dis- um, experiencing economic disadvantages aren't reading at grade level. Right, and right. you all know, while you may not be rooted in or steeped in elementary school um, and working with children of that age, you said that you work with middle school and high school students. Mm-hmm. And you know how hard it is when you have a middle schooler or a high school student who's struggling with reading. Yes. Um, the reason that we so believe in that there's research and a lot of data and books and articles that have been written on the, um, the importance of this is that if you're not getting a child up to speed in reading by the time they're in fourth grade, the chances of them graduating on time, attaining any type of post-secondary certification, degree, any of that is, I mean, those chances are so much more slim. And I know that on a previous um, podcast, you all were speaking with one of your guests about the science of reading, which is what our curriculum is also based uh, on. I, deba- I debated bringing that up to you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say, it's just, it's so important. I think it's really critical to identify the skill gaps and really help create targeted support to kids uh, with specific areas that they're struggling in reading. And that's what we try to do uh, in partnership with schools. So let, let's talk a little bit more about the specifics of um, your approach and how the organization works. So you work with schools and parents, and that's an important part of, I guess, the, the triad. Um, so tell us how you work with schools and families to get students to read at grade level. Like, what does it look like on the ground? What does it look like in a school? Yep. And walk us through so we can picture how, how it all works. Yeah. So we work with kids. So the schools identify the teachers and reading specialists will identify um, the children we work with who are at least half a grade level behind in reading up to two and a half grade levels behind in reading. And then when they come to us, which is like another classroom, we just call it a reading center, looks like an elementary school library, but just a fraction of the size. There are tables all around the room, really nice and colorful pictures and books. And um, at every table is is a student and the tutor because we mobilize our community uh, to recruit volunteers to eat to tutor with us once or twice a week. And so we um, bring the student in, we assess them to really understand what exactly are they struggling with in reading. We provide then a very specific lesson plan for them. And then all of that is scripted for the tutor. So the tutor does not have to have been a teacher, doesn't have to have, uh, doesn't have to be a literacy expert or an expert in elementary education, but rather know how to read, have the propensity 
and love and desire to work with kids and of course not have a, um, a criminal background. Um, <laughs> so we, we pair them, they, they take the lesson plan and then it's about a 45 minute lesson. The tutor is first preparing and then they read, then there's a read aloud, there's a specific skill. So let's say it's phonemic awareness or learning a certain sound or a blend that they practice on with, that they practice with the child on. And then the child gets to uh, do some, indep not independent, but guided reading with them. And then the idea is that we're also building their love of reading, not just the skills. So at the end of the lesson, we encourage them to take a book home. So we have a number wow. of books in our reading center that they get to take home. Um, we recognize that we are so not the panacea. I think far too often, and I say this as someone who's worked in a lot of nonprofits. Um, I'm not a teacher or a school, an instructional leader by, by you know, my background or my experience, but I've worked in a number of educational nonprofits. And I think far too often, especially in disadvantaged communities, there is this like all knowing sense that these nonprofits have coming into schools like, oh, 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 we have the answer for you. Right. And it isn't that, I mean, like we're not doing this work to a community or for a community. We should be doing this work with a community. And so to do it with a community, we need to partner with teachers. We need to partner with school leaders and recognize they're the ones working with these youngsters all day, five days right. a week, and we're just there a couple hours. So just that partnership is important. It can't be like we're on top of something additive to what they're doing, but we should be a part of that child's journey. And then, of course, I can talk more about how we engage families, but I realized yeah. that, was, that was a little long-winded. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was, I was just going to ask about um, the, 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 I guess the more details of the, the relationship. And, and that's exactly what I was asking about is, so, you know, they're working with students and maybe the more nitty gritty aspect of it is, so to what extent are you, are you training these tutors, these folks that are working with students to, it almost seems like you have to build in those, how do you build relationships with students? Like they, they're building a relationship with the student, it seems. That's right. So before, I mean, so we, we first recruit all of our mentors. We talk to them about what it is that we're trying to do. And we, you know, we, we hope that the people we're recruiting also have a belief in students and in the importance of reading. I would say the majority of the tutors we find, the volunteers love reading. They're avid readers themselves. And so the idea that so many children in this country are struggling with reading, I think, is the very reason that they decide to partner with us. Uh, we do a series of, uh, we do like about a two hour long orientation where we're helping them understand um, a little bit about the science of reading, not for them to be experts in that, but just to understand our curriculum, our approach, what happens before we pair them with the student, and then, um, and then the type of ongoing coaching and support we provide. And so there is always someone in our reading center, an AmeriCorps member and a reading partner staff member who are there guiding the tutor, coaching them, giving them tips uh, while they're there. So there's a lot of ongoing training that they provide, right. that we provide too. Nice. Uh, to all of the tutors. So a, a lot of the early literacy strategies is is pretty new to me. Um, and so I have uh, two now uh, elementary aged kids in my house. So kinder, kindergarten and second grade. So I've, yep. most of my experience is, is coming through watching them. And especially over the, the last year, as I've seen the videos. Um, but I, I would be remiss if I, if I didn't put on my Robbie Dodd hat here. And he was trained um, as a whole language specialist, whole language mm -hmm. reading instructor. Yep. And it seems um, that the main sticking point of like phonics versus whole language has to do with um, developing the love of reading and the content and some of the knowledge that you can get from reading 
you know, a book aside from like see Dick and Jane run, you know? Mm-hmm. So my question is, you know, amongst, um, and, I, and I will say that seeing my own kids go through it in the phonics specifically, I, I certainly, I'm like, oh, that seems to make sense to me. But how do you avoid the, the sort of like drill and kill that it seems could happen with an overemphasis on phonics? Like how do you also emphasize content and like develop what we all want for kids, which is that lifelong love of, of reading and reading for information and reading because yeah. they like it or a great story or whatever it is? Well, I think the power of what we do, and I would argue this is probably similar to what great teachers do too, is that um, it's a combination of both the academics, but also social and emotional learning. So within our curriculum, social emotional learning is embedded and it's a big part of even the connection that the tutor is making with the student. So a big part, I, I, I tell my own children, I have a, a, a son right in the middle of the age of your two kids in first grade. And, you know, I tell him and his older brothers the same thing, that when people cannot do something, it's one of three reasons. They lack the skill, they lack the will, or both, right? And so it's not enough for us to simply fill a skill gap by doing rote, you know, just this rote drilling. That's not, that's, that's not appealing to a kindergartner, but it's also important for us to ensure that they're excited about it. And that includes reading books to them where we're able to ensure that there are characters that, that they identify with. Uh, 90% of the kids that we serve are black and brown children. And so it's important for us to ensure that the books that they're reading are also very diverse. Um, and, or the books that we are also reading to them. And so that's one of our approaches. We also give high fives and talk about their resilience. And I know there was, um, in one of the earlier podcasts you all did, you were, it, was, it must have been the podcast after you interviewed um, Zaretta Hammond and mm-hmm. you were referring back to that podcast, which I have not heard yet. But, oh, you need to, um, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, but in that one, she, I actually started watching, listening to it right before this, and I ran. Out oh, of nice! <laughs> but in that, um, you t- you reference in in that podcast where you reference that podcast, you reference something that she said about just having this asset based way to think about our kids, and especially Black and Brown children from disadvantaged communities, and this time during COVID, sure. um, and. To, to that extent, I mean, our kids are resilient, right? And the fact that kids are learning anything right now, and also the fact that teachers are able to teach anything right now. Kids didn't go to school to learn this way. Teachers didn't go to school or get certified to teach this way. And so the fact that they are, that the teachers are able to teach something, kids are able to learn something, that in, it, in itself should be celebrated. And so I think a lot of what we are thinking about, especially in the fall and as we return to the classrooms, uh, or we, we return to like our traditional model of, um, of teaching kids, is just really ensuring that we elevate the resiliency of kids and just how amazing they are and talking about that as we're building connections with them to help them read. We just think that goes a long way. And then our Take Reading um, take reading Home program, where we're really trying to build their home libraries and allowing students to decide and have some um, agency in what books they pick and why and talk right. to us about that. You know, what, what looks interesting about this book? Right. I think those are ways that we nurture all of the ways that we try to you know, help kids love reading um, yeah. and, and build a passion for it. And my, and so I'm glad you brought that up about the, uh, about bringing in uh, different books, uh, you know, diverse sets of books. And um, my, I was thinking about this as I was looking through the reading partners website and looking uh-huh. at their board of directors. Oftentimes we have, 
you know, we'll be looking at guests to come on and we look at their foundation and, and, and you know, the directors are, it's an entirely white panel of, of folks who are, you know, education reform in, in, in high need schools or what have you. Um, the, the reading partners to me seems like they have a fairly diverse uh, set of board of directors, folks on your staff. Like how, how do you see, how do, as the CEO, how does that, how do you weave that thread through everything that you're doing in terms of building cultural competence in the folks that are working with our children? Um, what kind of tools are you having these tutors use? And, and how do you see that thread of equity move it through your organization? Yeah, Casey, I love that question. I think when I think about where I want us to be in five or 10 years, I want us to be at the center of this nationwide movement around educational equity. So I talk about educational equity all the time. And the fact is, we're while a lot of us love reading, that's not why we're here. We're here because right. there's a systemic problem that we're trying our best to undo. And it's going to take more than reading partners and more than public education, but it, it takes all of us, right? Even right. the community. And that's, and that's why we're attacking it this way. But it is important to us to ensure that any person who's coming into um, the children's lives that we so wish to support are not causing harm, either right. unintentional or intentional. And In, um, intent versus a, impact. It doesn't matter. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. We were just talking about that today within yeah. our organization. So there's a, there's a ton of work that we're doing internally on race, equity, diversity, and inclusion work, which we, we call ready. And right. while our board is becoming more diverse and our leadership is becoming more diverse and our staff and our miracle members are becoming more diverse, we're not where we need to be. Right. And like, it's important to have people who look different than our students and it's important to have more leaders who identify with the experiences that our students identify right. with. And I think that's a way to really create an inclusive organization. And so um, we're on our own journey as an organization around race, equity, diversity, and inclusion. We're creating a foundation of language we're doing training at the board level, at the leadership level. We've created affinity groups. We've put money behind this work and not just, oh, we're going right. to see if we could get some free training, but actually putting money where our mouth is. And then I think what happened last spring, right after George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor were killed and right before Juneteenth, was that a lot of companies, nonprofits, institutions were all putting very performative messages on their websites because that was the thing to do. It's like you kind of right. couldn't. But right. you know, let's fast forward now a year from now, what are folks doing? And I, I have a mission as, as well as my board and the rest of the organization to ensure what we put up on our website a year ago d wasn't in vain and wasn't right. Performative, And so to live into that, there's a lot of work we have to do. Right. Um, and so we're doing that work. And then there's a lot of work we need to do with our tutors. And I think what's hard is that the majority of our tutors do not represent the students that we serve. Right. And, and, I, and believe, I mean, and teachers yeah. as well. I mean, our That's teachers right. are largely a white working teach, teaching force. That's right. And, and I think while it's important to have tutors that look differently than our students, because I think there is some beauty in the cross-cultural um, connection that is made, it's also important for them to see people who look like them. So like, I think right. both can be true. And um, a big piece that we are trying to focus on is cultural attunement. And what does that look right. like? And I feel like it's been somewhat scaffolded for us. So this right. year we talked a little bit about systemic racism to our tutors. We began to introduce that in our orientation. And I think next year we want to do even more, with right. just helping them understand it's, it's not about, it's not always about the intention. It's about the impact. 
and just what our responsibility is to do for our students and not to assume. I remember once um, a long time ago, so I, I just came back to Reading Partners. I saw October. that, yeah. <laughs> But I was here before in 2013 to 2016, and I remember a tutor, very well-intentioned, great guy, but he said to me, you know, I just, I do this because I just, I want these kids to be loved, and I know that they just don't receive love. And I said, let me explain something to you. It's not love that they lack, it's resources. And right. that, that idea that you believe that you need to give them love that they don't actually have is just ignorant. And I'm here to the white savior complex. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That that white, it's just, that's not what this is about. So I think it's our job to help, to help our tutors understand that. And I think unfortunately we'll turn some people away. I know that that will happen, but if we're turning them away because they were then going to, you know, perhaps inflict some harm on our students, then it's the right decision. Right. Right. So one of the things I think that is, is so important, and you talk about how there is no magic answer, right? Right. And um, you alluded, I think, you know, probably because companies make money this way, they're like, we are the answer. Um, <laughs> so I guess the the, the sort of last piece of the, piece of the triangle has to do with, you know, at home parents, yeah, and what they can do. And I, I, man, I'm an educator, and I know that I have felt at times like I don't really know how to support like my six-year-old to learn to read. I can read with them. I can read to them. I can have them read to me. I can listen, watch a video. But what do you recommend for parents that want to be there and want to support their kids, but don't know how? That's such a great question. And I, I'm not going to pretend that I have all the answers because I mean, I literally have conversations with my first graders teacher all the time about this with him. He doesn't love reading. He's reading. And I try to do many things that we tell <laughs> our families um, in our program to do. And some of them work and some of them do not. But I think first and foremost, it's just about being informed about what it is that's happening at school. And I think that that's a two-way street. I think it's a teacher's job, especially when kids are very young, but for them to help um, parents and families, caregivers understand how their ch- how how that child is performing in school. I think right. that's important. So just that knowledge of understanding how is my child doing in reading, yeah. and then um, perhaps from the teacher getting a couple tips. I think what we do is like the biggest thing is we want to let you know what they're working on. There's a certain letter that they're working on, if we're working on certain uh, words or they're reading certain types of books, we want to send those book ho- books home. We want to contact our families and give them a sense of how they are doing. This has been actually easier for us during the pandemic because we now kind of have a window into home because now our program has all you know has pivoted online. Mm-hmm. So we're now talking to families much more than we ever did before. I don't think we built, if I'm just being honest, I don't think the 22 years of our of the history of our program was built to really be great at family engagement. We have a ways to go. We started some things last year. We're doing more. Um, some of it is just surveying parents and understanding how can we help? Like, yeah. we don't know if they're working from home or working outside of the home, but what would be helpful? So we have um, uh, e, um, e-licenses, e-book licenses that can be utilized on a cell phone or on a computer, you know, just to help kind of mitigate the digital divide. So we encourage yeah. families to do that. And then we also just text home some resources um, in conjunction with what the kids are working on in our reading center. So those are some of the things that we do. Yeah. And then, of course, keeping in That's communication great. with the teacher. Yeah, one, one thing I want to make sure all our listeners know about is um, the Imagination Library. Um, 
I think Dolly Parton runs it or funds it or something. But yeah, we they sign they send a book to your kid once a month from like birth until five, I think like that. <laughs> I mean, it's it's just an incredible way to have books in your home. You know what yes. I mean? And and you know, I, theoretically, I'd love to go to the library every weekend, but that does not happen. So, That's right. You know, we it's have all these close. books, yeah, that you know, yep. have just like built up. It's 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 amazing just having books in the home, even if our two year old just is looking at them, you know, learning how books work is is a pretty exactly. incredible thing. The, the last question we have for you before we go on to our guest quiz is what uh, what what's next for Reading Partners? What's coming up for your organization that we should uh, let our l- listeners know about? Yeah, I'd maybe answer that in two different ways. First and foremost, in this country, there are over 10 million children, elementary age, that are struggling with reading. And I would imagine that number is only bigger given the last year. And while we have served at at a height, like maybe 11,000 students, I truly believe that the time, there's no time like the present. And reading partners over the next three years needs to exponentially serve even more students. And Mm -hmm. through the pandemic, we've pivoted to a digital programming model to support under-resourced families and schools. And our goal is to continue to do that while also returning to our bricks and mortar model. So we're looking to continue to support schools, but also look at ways to partner with uh, nonprofit organizations and also perhaps find ways to help students out of school time. So we're going to be trying some pilots over the next year, see what sticks and then kind of move forward there. That's exciting. That's very awesome. Well, well, Adiola, thank you so much for coming on the show. And and we have to, this is an education podcast, so we have to end our time have with some to, sort of have assessment, to. Uh, some sort of assessment, some sort of accountability uh, measure. So it's been great having you on the pod, uh, but now it's time for our infamous guest quiz. Okay. As, what if I don't do well? You're, you're going to do great. You're going to do great. Okay. I believe, I believe in you. Okay, thank you. As the CEO of Reading Partners, we know you know your stuff when it comes to teaching and leading reading programs, but we want to know what you know about the age-old show Reading Rainbow, hosted by the great LeVar Burton from way back. You ready? what do I know about it? I know the song. (laughs) I know LeVar Burton. I know that it was my younger sister's favorite show. So you're going to start the quiz? Yes. If you answered two out of the three questions, you win. You ready? Yeah. All right. Number one, when Reading Rainbow ended its 26-year run, it was the third longest children's show, uh, longest running children's show in PBS history. Which two other shows beat Reading Rainbow as the longest running children's show on PBS? You have three chances to get them right. Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. You got it. You got it. I saw, I saw Sesame Street is on like season 53 or something like that. It's, it's it now on, is it now on HBO or yeah. something? So it's HBO. like, go to yes. seasons and it's like season one, season 53. It's like, <laughs> it's going to take a long time to binge that. Um, number two, why did Re- Reading Rainbow end in 2009? This is multiple choice. Okay. A, LeVar Burton is a notoriously difficult actor to handle and work with. <laughs> and PBS just decided they had had enough. B, no one wanted to cough up what amounted to nearly half a million dollars to renew the broadcast rights. Or C, no child left behind basically solved our reading issues in the U.S., so there was no need for the show. B. B is correct. No one <laughs> wanted to cough up the money. You said half a, half a million dollars? Half a million. Oh my, that's it? That's it. Wow. Number three, and this is the last one. You're doing great. 
Number three, speaking of No Child Left Behind, the infamous and controversial 2001 education law also played a part in canceling in the canceling of the show. How so? Is it A, George W. Bush wasn't really big on quote unquote reading and pushed for it to be canceled. B, the GOP cut funding from PBS as they are wont to do. Or C, NCLB was a shift from fostering a love of reading to teaching kids how to read via federal policy. Oh, this is kind of hard. I know it's not A. Um, oh, I'm, I'm torn between B and C. I'm going to say C. C is correct. Oh, good When one. asked about the reasons uh, in an interview with Rolling Stone, Burton said that, quote, we were a victim of No Child Left Behind. And we have never been about the rudiments of reading. So we were left on the minus side of that equation. Wow. So you, you got three out of three. Three out of three. Very that nice. was like fun. <laughs> that's like top, top guest uh, 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 score for our quiz here. Yeah. I love the quiz. Thank you. <laughs> so before we let you out of here, uh, tell us uh, social media, website, all that good stuff where our listeners can find you. Yes. So, um, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, we're Reading Partners. Um, website, www.readingpartners.org. And what else? Um, I have an Instagram. I have a Reading Partners Instagram at RPCEOLA. Don't have a lot of followers at all. Our regular <laughs> Reading Partners one has more. And I just repost a lot of their great, the great content. that um, You all need to get on, on TikTok. That's the next. That's the next thing. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> that's right? Casey's thing. Yeah. yeah. No, I got off of it in the, early oh, yeah. on in the pandemic. <laughs> I was on it for about a month, and I the algorithms were just way too good. And I'm like, I have to get off of this phone. It was terrible. <laughs> Goodness. <laughs> well, well Adiola so Whitney, fun. thank you so much for joining us. It was really a pleasure having you on, and, and hopefully we can get you back on when when Robbie's back because he'll have a lot of questions for you too. I would love that. Well, thank you. I really enjoyed the conversation. I hope you two have a great rest of your evening. All right. Thanks a lot. And we'll talk to you soon. Take care. All right. Bye. Bye. Welcome back to Ed's Not Dead. I'm Robbie Dodd. I'm still joined by my co-hosts, Peter and Casey. Yep, yep. We're still here. You're still here. As always, Ed's Not Dead is brought to you by Ed's Not Dead Media, a podcast media company that curates high-quality audio stories across a variety of genres. Thanks again to Adiola Whitney, CEO of Reading Partner. She was awesome, fellas. Yeah, she was great. I love talking with her. And uh, I think she's got the, the Reading Partners is really a great program, and, and uh, I hope folks will look up their organization and check out what they have to share. All right. Thanks again to Adiola for coming on the show. We have a new segment. Uh, it is called Low Profile. Low Profile. Oh, darn. What's wrong? I got to find it. We have to get a song for it. Well, Mr. Krabs is going to make us a he's song. He's working on it this weekend, I think. He's got, his, he's got his guitar right there in the background. Right. That's right. He can do it. Um, I was saying during the break, uh, what are we going to record in person again. Oh, well, we're going to get on that. Maybe we'll do a Facebook live event. How about next week? Let's try it. We're going to finale. We're going to no. We're going to pump out an extra episode next Ooh. week. We all three of us have been vaccinated. Didn't you hear the CDC? That's do right. Anything you want. That's right. <laughs> uh, it inside no masks. We get Santushis. 
Yeah, I'll get you Santucci's. Let's do it. All right, we got to pick a night next week. All right. All right, so our new segment, Low Profile, it's where Mr. Siddons... No, it's not just me. This is Low Profile. (laughs) This is for everybody. Okay, Okay, the directions in the show say... Well, you just didn't read it right. Casey segment. It's 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 we're gonna share news stories, education or otherwise, that you think are keeping a low profile, but maybe could become a big thing soon, or you'd like it to be a big thing soon. All right. Ready? So our so our first low profile issue, Mr. Sins, we will start with you. Yes. Yeah, so the first low profile issue that I want to bring up is from Education Next, our favorite rag to rag on, is with federal dollars on the way, districts face big decisions. And I have like a mini quiz for you both, uh, a would you rather test Ooh, and. Nice. Uh, but uh, I'll get your take. I'll get your takes on the 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 article's big picture, and really, it's all this money is coming into schools, uh, and school districts are looking into uh, what they can do with this this money because there's really a, a wide array of things that they could do with it in terms of reduction of class sizes, providing tutoring, um, and and they're getting 122 billion dollars in stimulus relief, and the law says that. 20% of the money can be used to address learning loss among students through the use of, quote, evidence-based interventions. So the big, the reason why I wanted to bring this up is because obviously it's great that systems are getting all this money. They're getting all this money to use for a variety of different things. But as we know, uh, Congress is not the most functional of organizations and the funding will soon run out. And uh, what happens to districts, both big and small, uh, after this money runs out? Uh, we'll start with Dr. Dodd. What do you think? What's your take on the the issues with uh, the money running out eventually? Um, <laughs> is is it the issue of how they're going to spend it or what they're going to do once it's gone? Well, what what happens? So so let's say they're bringing on staff, they're reducing class sizes, they're putting all this money into programs. Now, you know, what's your take on on the impact of it long term? Well, I guess. For learning loss, which is that the is that the hip? Is it? That's is, the term that we shouldn't use, according to Zaretta Hammond. We shouldn't use that. What about mitigation? I've heard that too. Learn, yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, I would I would guess that some of these initiatives that they are that school systems are going to create implement will be short term initiatives anyway to try to stem the bleeding for kids that have been. Um, disproportionately impacted by the last 14 months. Sure. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't think whether it's, um, so not something to fret about maybe. Yeah. I mean, whether it's really huge summer school programs or extended day or, um, tutoring, um, I mean, school systems are going to have to pay for compensatory services for students with IEPs. Sure. Um, who uh, measurable loss is documented, uh, school systems are on the hook to pay for that. Sure. Um, so, but that's not all going to last forever. Uh, it's going to have a shelf life. So um, reduce class sizes. I mean, I would think that they would reduce class sizes to the point that they can, but they wouldn't go beyond what they could fe- feasibly sustain, you know, three, four, sure. five years out. Um, so I would think it'll be short-term supposedly high impact programs. Yeah. Grapes, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I would tend to agree. Um, I think a lot of the positions that are being created and the programs are being created aren't like new positions with new employees that are going to last beyond. I think it's going to be a year, maybe two years, um, but then it's all going to be gone. And in five years, 
it's going to be in the rearview mirror and we're never going to talk about it again. So, uh, well, the, the next part of this is the, would you rather test? And it's okay. a, it's a, the AEI, AEI created it, or, uh, I believe it's the Fordham Institute in conjunction with the AEI. You ready for it? I thought he said that this wasn't his segment alone. <laughs> Were we all supposed to have like an issue? I thought this was going to be rapid fire. Well, it is rapid fire. We're going to talk for like 45 seconds about our right. Okay. All right. Go ahead. The, the latest round of stimulus works out to about 2,400 per student. And if you think about each, uh, consider the following spending options for a district aiming to spend a portion of its money to alleviate unfinished student learning. Each option would cost about the same 1000 bucks per pupil. For that amount, districts could A, reduce class sizes by two students a year, B, extend a school year by four weeks for all students, C, provide one-third of students with a year's intensive tutoring, D, offer four-week learning camps for all K-5 students this summer and next, or E, give principals the money to decide what makes the most sense in their school. Interesting uh, way to think about the money that's coming at you. So just something to think about. So we don't have to choose one. You don't have to choose one. I don't want to put you on the spot. That was a tough one. I was like, gee, I don't, I don't know. And then there's, there's other, if you go into the, the study that they published, they have a lot of them. They have like, would you rather have A, two fewer students in class, this is to teachers, B, an aid at 20% time, or C, a $5,000 a year raise? Fascinating different questions that they put up on these yeah, things. That's interesting. So Very they give the results? Uh, no, they. Uh, it's not. I don't know if it's like actually a survey, but it's like okay. what you think about how how they're yeah, getting how you to money think about funding. Yes. Yeah, yes. yeah. Got it. So that's my that's my under the that's my low profile article. So thank you. Who's next? All right, I'll give you a couple. Um, first is with with the money, um, and what's obviously happened over the last fourteen months. Um, I've read nothing about this. It, it, this is strictly my spidey sense. So it's completely ill-informed. Um, unlike you, Casey, who had a lot of documentation. Uh, I'm waiting to see what the federal government says about um, school improvement and student achievement and targets and what the, what the, what the guidance is to states to start to say, okay, we've had, I don't know, years now of no coercive accountability. And I think it's coming. I think it's coming. I don't know when it's coming. Um, And maybe it won't be a Fed thing. Maybe it'll be a state-by-state thing. But uh, I think we're going to be back to that era eventually. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, uh, I'm curious, curious when it's going to show up. Um, the other one is that I think the Lakers are in trouble. Um, <laughs> I, I think LeBron James and the Lakers are not going to – I'm going to say they're not even going to get to the Western Conference Finals. Wow. What do you think, Mr. Krabs? Uh, I would disagree with you. Okay. Never – only never count LeBron out. Okay. It's a good low-profile issue, though, isn't it? It is. The it dude is. Makes yeah. conference finals and finals – Every year, they do, and wherever he is, it doesn't matter. You're right; doesn't matter. This is going to be the year, though. This is going to be the year where they just where he's he. He did say recently after his, I think it's an upper ankle injury. He said, "I don't think I'll ever be back to 100 percent again." Yeah, ever. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I mean, is he 38? 
Oh, he's, uh, I don't know if he's that old. He may be he's 36. Okay, yeah. Okay. Well, a high ankle sprain, high ankle injury at that age, I would think would be... 36 in basketball is... Yeah. Is oh, he's very old. Yeah. 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 Um, what do you all think of my accountability piece? Yeah, I think, I, I it's think coming. Yeah, I could be spot on. At some point, the testing is going to... It's going to come back. It's coming back, yep. and then it, there's going to be heavy emphasis on the results and kids that will take a look at where were they two years ago and where are they now? Oh, they didn't progress at all? Or Yeah, I just want all my... Uh, oh, and did you see, by the way, low profile? Uh, friend of the pod, Randy Weingarten, comes out today. He's getting and, a lot of flack, I'll tell you that. I, I, is that the definition of leading from behind? Now she says we must be back in school. Yeah, but if you look at the details, there's a lot of uh, onerous, uh, some would say onerous guidelines that you'd have to hit for them to agree to it. For schools to open? Yeah. Is she saying now or in the fall? She's saying in the fall. In the fall. Now I'll she's she, she, get, yeah. get out of well, here. What, what politically? Every but, school is going to be open in the uh, fall. I know. Uh-huh. That's what I'm saying. And now, <laughs> I, I mean, I, who, who said to you all that the unions could have led on this issue? I just Dr. Dobbs. Like Dr. Dobbs. I, I, just, I, I just feel like she's, okay, it's convenient today. The same day the CDC comes out and says you don't have to wear masks inside if you're vaccinated. All right, Mr. Krabs, you're up. Well, I'm glad you brought up a non-education issue because I was going to be the only one and I was not going to share at all. <laughs> uh, I would like to talk about electric cars. Ooh. Yes. It boo hiss. <laughs> Robbie will never I, own an electric car. Ever. Well. I am a combustion engine guy. Yes. I'm so excited. But there is a strong uh, and concerted and powerful movement uh, that by the time this decade is out, I think the roads of this country will be hardly unrecognizable in terms of the number of electric cars out there, in terms of the number of electric uh, way stations or charging stations. It's going to be for like my kids, by the time they're driving, electric cars are going to be the new normal. Would anybody like to guess who is, which car companies have pledged to become all electric? Well, GM GM has. Okay. Um, Ford has Volkswagen in Europe. Volkswagen, yes. The Volkswagen yeah. was, was it? Was I wrong about Ford? I just guessed. I don't uh, think it says Ford, Ford but only in Europe. Only in Europe. Okay. Yeah, uh, Toyota they do have now F one fifty. That's electric. Right. F- oh, I like the F one fifty. Toyota has not, have they? Uh, Toyota has. Yes. Okay. All By right. twenty forty. Where am I going to get unleaded gasoline for my 1988 FJ62? Just be find all the find all the clowns that have been putting it in plastic bags in their trunks. <laughs> oh man, let, 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 let me tell you what. Uh, good I, lord, I, all those people. Be, are, that's what made me think of it. All those people are people like from my area in Pennsylvania that <laughs> put us to shame. So driving tip right now, um, if you're on the road, stay in the middle lane. <laughs> because if you're in the left lane or if God forbid the right lane oh, and there's a right gas lane. station coming oh, up, you're in trouble. You are screwed. You're in oh, trouble. I drove by an accident yesterday. Oh, unbelievable. I was sitting in traffic watching this guy stick four red gas cans of gasoline <laughs> in the, in the trunk of his car. I was like, dude, it's like the apocalypse. <laughs> Uh, I, saw anyway. the, I saw a TikTok video of a guy filling up garbage bags, plastic bags, a <laughs> Rubbermaid container, 
and Lowe's Blue Buckets. <sighs> Can I just make a request about the election? I think you're right, Mr. Crabes. It's a great low-profile issue, and just please, uh, can they not all be Teslas? No, they're going to be normal cars. Okay, because Elon Musk just has no, to. He's, he's too much. Here's, here's he's. the other brands. Ready? Jaguar, Bentley, GM, you said, BMW Mini, Volvo, uh, which you did not mention. They were 2030, which was wow. fascinating. You mentioned Volkswagen, Toyota, Daimler, Mercedes-Benz. That's oh, yeah. a big Whoa. one. Yeah. And then uh, Audi. That's, a, that's good. It's, it's, it, not, it's, it's interesting that corporations are leading and not the government. <laughs> well, there must be some. They've, they've looked, they're I, they're they've, reading the tea leaves. Absolutely. They've looked into the, to something. And to yeah. They, and, they've and got, you know they've got smart people that have said. And, and there's a, there is a consumer demand for it. Yeah. You know, there, there are the Robbies who will never buy one. But there are, there are lots and lots of folks who would much rather drive a, an electric car. I, I will buy one. I just want to be able to have my antique car that runs on gasoline. Well, you know, once they you know? take once once we go to one hamburger a month, they're probably going to take away your combustion engine anyway. So <laughs> the Biden bur- the Biden burger plan. All right, good new good news segment, Mister Sids. Yes. Low profile. Is that Low it, Mister Graves? That's what you got. That's it. Yeah. That's okay. It. No. No. Be no. Quick sp- and easy. No. No sports low profile issue. No sports low profile. Whoa. I'm sorry. All right. I'll do better next time. All right, you got a quiz, Mr. Siddons? Let's I do. finish it out. Okay. I do. Do you want to um, – who wants quiz A and who wants quiz B? I will take form B. Okay, and, and Mr. Krabs, you'll have form A. Ready. No, you ready? Number one, last week – or actually, no, 10 days ago. Who's this a, for? Uh, who's going a, first? Is this is for Crable. Okay. A, a Republican-led effort gathered the 1.2 million signatures required for a special election in the, f- the fall to recall Governor who? A. Gavin Gray Newsom. Davis – now, there's multiple choice, but yes, yeah, Gavin I'll Newsom is correct. Number two, he needs to stay out of Napa Valley at the restaurants <laughs> during during COVID. Yes, he does. <laughs> what a big dummy! Oh uh, yeah, yeah, like what a clown. Number oh, yeah. two, the U.S. Census Bureau announced that the population of the U.S. is just over how many million? A three hundred twenty-one, B three hundred thirty-one, or Ooh. C three hundred forty-three. That's three hundred forty-three. Incorrect. It's three hundred thirty-one million. Number three, Michael Collins, one of the three astronauts on the 1969 blank mission to the moon, Apollo. died at age 90. A, Apollo 11. B, Capricorn 1. Or C, Artemis Prime. Apollo 11. <laughs> Apollo 11 is correct. Did you forget so that I, I used to teach astronomy? That's right. You were so good he's at a, that. He's, he's, he, that's it. He's, they're all three gone. Yeah. Aldrin's gone. Armstrong's yeah, gone. And now he's gone. Oh, did that's Aldrin true. die? Uh, yeah, Aldrin's mm-hmm. gone. Aldrin, Aldrin died a few years ago. Oh, Chat, Google that. What, Google what your Aldrin died. Are you sure? I'm 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 a hundred percent sure. All right. You know me with my uh, my, I, my obituaries. You're not giving the date. I, 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 I it, it was uh, Buzz Aldrin's still alive. I think because <laughs> he was in Trump. <laughs> he's he's still alive. No, yes, he's, he's dead. He, was, he went to Trump. He like, I, went. To, don't you hate it when you say people are dead when they're alive? <laughs> I, have, I have a great Buzz Aldrin. Buzz Aldrin's a big actually. fan. You know, we might be in trouble. God. So uh, when I was teaching astronomy, he's ninety-one. I got invited to astronomy night at the White House because I was teaching astronomy. (laughs) So I had all these. Yeah, you you did some incredible planning for that course. (laughs) (laughs) I got it early every day to figure out what I was teaching. That's true. Anyway, so uh, there's all these telescopes set up on the south lawn of the White House. Cool, fun. Uh, Obama shows up and like nice. he's like, hey, what are you guys looking at? You know, that was a terrible Obama voice, but you know, you can envision it. 
So Buzz Aldrin's there and he goes up to this group of kids and he's like, Hey kids, like I'm Buzz Aldrin. I went to the moon. All right, cool. He's like, you guys want to talk about the moon? And they're like, yeah. And he goes, I don't. (laughs) God. Uh, But then he goes, I "I want to talk about Mars. Mars is the next big thing. We need to colonize uh, Mars and blah, blah, blah. But for, it was for a second there. It was very awkward. That's hysterical. That is, and these were middle school kids. Yeah, yeah. Well, there are probably some high school there too. I would imagine. I wonder why I thought Buzz was 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 gone. Okay, Casey's putting stuff in the in the chat. <laughs> what did what did he put? The in Buzz there? Aldrin Donald Trump meme. <laughs> so good. Oh, there there he is. Um, so Aldrin and, and Armstrong walked right. Correct. Correct. Yeah, that's right. Um, that. <laughs> <laughs> that is hysterical. I don't even want to look at that. All right. Okay. So Buzz Aldrin. Uh, okay. Ready? Yep. What is B. FBI. You ready? You ready, Doctor Dad? Oh, it's my turn. Form B. Yes. Okay. There we go. So F- one Crable. One Crable. Get one out two, of three. Two out of three. Two that, out of three. Uh, whatever. All right. <laughs> Question one. FBI agents raided the home of former Trump lawyer Rudy Giuliani, looking for evidence related to his dealings with the country of. Blank. Ukraine. Ukraine is correct. One of the options, actually, I was hoping you wouldn't say it, but one of the options is the My Pillow guy. Uh, number two, blank won the 147th running of the Kentucky Derby. Is it A? Medina. Med- is it A? Mandaloon. <laughs> is it B? Medina Spirit or C? Hot Rod Charlie. I, I already said it, and I get full credit. Medina Spirit, correct. Medina Spirit is B. And number three, actress Olympia Dukakis, who won an Oscar for her role in Blank, died at age 89. Are you ready for is this? Is she most famous he's, for he's what gonna give it, he's movie? Gonna, I know, and the year. And the year. Moonstruck. You get it the year. Moonstruck, and it would be, it's going to be tough. I'm going to say 1988. 1987. Oh, Darn! Oh, so oh, it's a tie. You don't get credit. Tie, but there is a tiebreaker. There is a tiebreaker, and whoever gets it first gets it uh tiebreaker is how impressed are you that i knew that olympia dukakis that was good uh, you, that was you, very good you, you do know her who her famous relative is right michael dukakis that would be correct um oh, she, she yeah she um that is a great movie that's got nick cage in it um share olympia dukakis she won the oscar for it and share won the oscar for best actress wow um it was a fantastic it was a very popular late 80s movie it's a great story it's about love all right, go ahead. Uh, all right, tiebreaker. The blank took Trevor Lawrence with the first pick in the NFL. Jaguars. That is correct, Dr. God. <laughs> he knew that. Craig knew that. He was just... I, my, my, I, was, I don't know what I was thinking about. I was thinking about something else. I was not ready for lightning round. <laughs> you, were, you were thinking about that linebacker of the Washington football team. I did. Yes. Jamin Davis. And the next, yeah, it's going to be Ron Rivera's Wilbur Marshall. All Mr. right. Okay. Next All right. Now we are, we are, we are, Whoa. we're boring our I audience. Know <laughs> <laughs> Don't know who All right, that, that was a good quiz. I like that quiz, Mr. Mr. I'm Z. glad you do. I'm glad you, you should. I think you should do more of the form A, form B quiz style. I will do it. If you like it, I will do it. All right. Um, all right. Uh, so, this episode will be coming out soon. I don't know why I'm even, why am I even talking about that? I have some times where I feel like we, we've done this so long, I feel like we're almost doing it live. Don't you all ever feel that way? <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. Yeah. All right. It'd be nice. Um, 
As always, Ed's Not Dead is brought to you by Ed's Not Dead Media, uh, a podcast media company that curates high-quality audio stories across a variety of genres. Um, and you can, curating. Yeah, I hate curating. Uh, and find us on Twitter at Ed's Not Dead PC and check out the website, edsnotdead.com. We have any blogs up there, fellas? Working on some. Any blogs? Working on something? Uh, didn't your di- didn't your um, didn't your tome on uh, no snow days and didn't that where, where didn't you send me something that got picked up? Or I tweeted t- it. I tweet it pretty often whenever <laughs> someone brings it up. And how I guess New York City public schools is not going to be doing snow days this coming school year. <laughs> really, it's really a shame. I I I partially regret writing it because it's just so sad now that it's actually bearing out and i'm like oh good lord i thought you're i thought the when you tweeted it just the other day it was a bit um self-aggrandizing a little oh, bit you were, you, self-aggrandizing. You, were, you were like <laughs> didn't you say Did like <laughs> yeah <laughs> you were totally giving yourself credit for like i was being, being i was the, being on the the, the cutting that's, edge that's the joy of owning and operating one of our twitter accounts <laughs> uh you haven't you haven't liked my recent post on linkedin i i, I thought that was oh, pretty i don't cool. go on i don't go on linkedin jesus okay all right do you ever go on there mr craves uh maybe like once a month i like i like linkedin because they send me jobs i look at jobs on LinkedIn. <laughs> i like that I yeah like that. i like i like that um thank you to adiola whitney ceo of reading partners uh we'd love to have her on the show and uh mr siddons will tweet out the piece by chris stewart chief executive officer of Brightbeam, that we talked about yes america is racist no you shouldn't teach my kids if you disagree you're gonna you're gonna send that out right mr yes siddons. i will all right. And then uh, also don't miss uh, the interview with Greg Bear, the founder and co-chair of Remake Learning. That uh, pod came out last week. I was not on it. I was left off of it, but um, it's a great interview that Mr. Siddons did. Mm-hmm. Check it out. All right, boys, as always, great to see you. Thanks to our listeners for tuning in. Any final, any final words of wisdom for the audience? Live no. long and prosper. Stay safe out there. Stay All safe right. out there. Get vaccinated, people. All right. Enjoy the beautiful May days, and we will talk to you soon. For Casey and Peter, I'm Robbie. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>